Hi, and welcome to the Bookish Besties podcast. We're excited you're here with us to talk all things books and reading. We are two friends brought together by our love of reading. I'm Diane and adore my beach life in Charleston, South Carolina with my family and dogs. Reading has been a pleasure my whole life. I read to travel when I cannot leave home, to escape when life gets to be too much, to learn even when I'm not in school anymore, and to make new friends on the pages of stories and by talking to those who share my passion. And I'm Mary, a northerner living in the frozen tundra of Madison, Wisconsin. I've been an avid reader for as long as I can remember and make a point to read every day while still balancing the challenges of work and life. My ideal is to be curled up by the fire with the dog on my lap, a glass of wine on the end table, and a good book in my hands. We would be most grateful if you would rate and review our podcast. It really does help others to find us. Thank you so much and happy reading. Good afternoon. We are here today with Miss Jamie Brenner. Jamie grew up in suburban Philadelphia on a steady diet of Jackie Collins and Judith Grant's novels. After studying literature at the George Washington University in Washington, DC, Jamie moved to New York City where she started her career at HarperCollins later with barnesandnoble.com and vogue.com before returning to books and becoming an author. Her novel Forever Summer is a national bestseller. People Magazine says of her latest novel, Drawing Home, the pages practically turn themselves. Her upcoming book, Summer Longing, which will be released on the 5th of May, um, is much anticipated. Jamie lives in New York City and spends her summers visiting the beach towns that inspire her novels. Welcome, Jamie, and thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. This is such a nice way to spend my somewhat isolated morning. So thank you for the virtual um, hangout. You are very, very welcome. Before we delve into your new book, Summer Longings, which I shared with you, I loved, um, but I was looking at your biographical information and your website, and I think we may be book twins. (laughs) Oh, Tell me, in terms of like uh, formative books? Yes, formative books. I remember getting um, the Judy Bloom book that you have on your on your website. That was the cover of the one that I had. I got them in a box set. My, yes. my father's parents gave them to me one Christmas. And I remember my other side of the family, my mother's family saying, oh, I don't know if those are appropriate. And of course, that was all I needed to read them all in like a day and a half, right? <laughs> I actually hunted down that box set online oh, and I got, yeah, I have it back in my apartment in New York, but just touching those like old books and seeing those covers. Oh my gosh. It's like instantly transported. I'm 11 again. Or I know, right? I was inappropriately reading. I, I, well, I, you know, I shared a couple of weeks ago. I let um, my, one of my girls, I was saying that I read Gone with the Wind in eighth grade. And I'm like, I'm not exactly sure that I would let my girls read Gone with the Wind. And then my oldest, Lily Grace, decided, she's like, mom, you gave me Gone with the Wind like in sixth grade. I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, this is a whole different, you know. Yeah. Well, and I think with books, you know, you, what you're maybe not prepared for, you just, it just kind of goes over your head. I don't think she got everything, which was fine. Yes. Yes. Again. But yeah, I also loved, so my dad and I also shared Nelson DeMille. He gave me The General's Daughter. I think it was my first one. (laughs) Oh, I love that. I do too. And then I shared with him, Pat Conroy, who is, remains 
my favorite, you know. Absolutely. He's just could weave a story like no other. Um, Absolutely. And I remember, you know, the shell seekers. I, I loved it because it was big. So you knew you weren't going to finish in three hours. Yes. Like I wanted to stay in her world forever and ever. You know, I wish like I could write longer. You know, like there was this epic quality to like the books that were published like in the mid 80s and the <laughs> early 90s, which I feel like people don't write in that way anymore. Right. Um, you know, there's like, it, the stories are tighter and more contained and that's sort of how I've learned to write stories. But I do, I do love that type of sprawling, lush storytelling. Pat Conroy, you know, great example of that. Yeah. And, and, you know, do you think that we just, our immediate gratification, like we can't handle that anymore? I don't know. I think our attention span is, I mean, like I've never had an editor say to me, write longer. And yet I look at, I was looking at the old Judith Cram's novels, 600, 700 pages. Right. Susan Howitch, a thousand pages. Anne Rice, The Witching Hour, a thousand pages. Right. Yeah, I don't know what happened, but something happened. And we devoured happened. those books. There were huge bestsellers and, and we devoured them. Absolutely. I never, never a dull moment either. <laughs> so I don't know, who knows? But yeah, I think there's definitely something to say for like shortening, things have to be quick and... Right. But. Right. Well, let's talk about your book, Summer Longings. So I shared with you, the only time I put it down, I read it in one sitting. The only time I put it down was like 10 pages in. I had to Google um, real estate for sale (laughs) (laughs) on the island. And then I rapidly decided that I couldn't live there. So I returned to the book and finished it before I stood up again. <laughs> I feel I've done my job. Job officially accomplished. It was um, Tell us about your lovely story. So we'll, we'll talk about, set, we'll start with setting since you bring it up. So the book is set in Provincetown, Cape Cod. It's the very tip of Cape Cod. It's a peninsula surrounded on um, three sides by water. And it's just about three miles long and two streets wide. And Provincetown is one of our country's oldest artist colonies. And it's actually the place where the pilgrims first landed before Plymouth, to be totally historically historically accurate. And some of our greatest playwrights and visual artists and novelists have created their masterpieces there. What has happened over time is it's become this very quirky, warm, open, um, I'd say forgiving town. It's a town of second chances. And everything I have depicted in this book in terms of the way people interact or the way people live their lives is, is not um, a fantasy version of a town. It is the way the town is experienced. Um, and I did have some Provincetown readers as my like accuracy check. Okay. So um, I love the town. So the premise of Summer Longing is a woman named Ruth Cooperman has chosen it as her retirement home. She sets out there for the summer in a rental looking for her forever house. And this is her, you know, me time. Um, The book, all of my books are about sort of the families we're born into uh, in contrast with or bumping up against the families we create in life. Uh, And for Ruth, she thinks she's going to 
have her alone time and instead ends up embroiled in this town drama. And the drama is Ruth, who has always put her career first, who is estranged from her grown daughter, who is never much of a hands-on mom, wakes up one morning at her rental house to find an abandoned baby on her doorstep. And this sets in motion a whole summer of, of drama for Ruth and the collective town's women who become her sort of extended family. I do love the, she, she goes to Provincetown on the edge of the world, right? The edge of this country for, for peace and solitude and ends up in essence running a B&B &B all summer. <laughs> exactly. So I think the big joke about people in province, for people in Provincetown and many beach communities is like how to be, not have all your friends using your house as their guest house. Yes. And that's exactly what happens. Her room, her house becomes filled with her estranged daughter and some townspeople and her ex-husband ends up there. And it's, um, it is like a comedy of, of errors. But I like the idea of second chances. And I like the idea, which I believe is that it's never too late to change and grow. So even if you are in your 50s or 60s or 70s and you feel like you've got things figured out life never stops reminding you that no actually you don't <laughs> you are not in charge <laughs> right you are not in charge and we are learning that so you know so blatantly right now right we are we are not in charge of what's happening in our lives and in our worlds and the best thing we can do is just buckle up and go along for the ride Exactly. And to sometimes when you're forced to slow down or forced to be with family in a contained space, which is why um, beach set novels and vacation set novels are so uh, perfect for introspection and change is because you're in a contained space for a finite amount of time or you're with people that you usually only interact with, um, you know, in ways you can moderate, you know, modulate. So, yeah, we are in. I, I've had many instances. Oh, someone sent me an article in the New York Times about this couple who were on their honeymoon in the Mal Maldives. Uh, and they couldn't, it's a, this remote island. They were not allowed to leave. So they are now the only people left on this resort. Uh -huh. And it's just that, just this couple and the people who work there. <laughs> and it's like a play, you know, they just said it, all the people who work there are hovering around all the time because there's nothing for them there's to nothing do. There's nothing else to do, right? Yeah, yeah. so. Yeah. They're either going to have the strongest marriage going forward forever or it's going to implode. <laughs> exactly, exactly. There's a, there's a book for you, Jamie. <laughs> I was actually thinking I could see Ann Patchett writing this book because I loved Bel Canto so much. I Yes. And how she like had everyone in this space and I could just totally see her running with this. I'll have to, I'm sure she'd love suggestions right. <laughs> for her next book. Because she needs some from us, right? Exactly. Totally. <laughs> have you read The Dutch House yet? Have you? Had yes. Oh, it's so lovely. I, yes, I loved it. And uh, I mean, I think my favorite book of hers is um, State of Wonder. Yes. Uh, just something about that was like completely magical. For sure. For sure. Well, we have a lot of people at home listening that that are trapped. So May 5th still seems kind of far away. Why yeah. don't you tell me a little bit about your um, previous books that, that people can access now. We can, you know, they can order, sure. they can get electronically from their libraries or whatever. Well, that's a, 
I'm glad you brought that up because um, I, my, one of my earliest novels called uh, The Forever Summer is also set in Provincetown. And it features some of the same characters. It's not, Summer Longing is not a sequel in any way, but uh, people who read The Forever Summer and become attached to one of the central characters, uh, a woman named Amelia, who, do, who does run a bed and breakfast. I do um, love Amelia. She was one of my favorite characters to write. And after I published The Forever Summer, so many people emailed me asking for a sequel or saying, you know, what do you think happens next for her? Um, so it, I wrote two books uh, after that, and then I returned to Provincetown, and I did bring Amelia back. So if, if listeners are looking to start with one of my books, I would definitely recommend The Forever Summer because, and you can happily just leap into summer longing and catch up Perfect. with some of those characters. Perfect. And tell me about The Husband Hour. So we, we, you and I shared a little bit. I, I, I enjoyed that book immensely and thought it was superbly well-written. And um, part of it was a little close to home for me. <laughs> tell, tell us a little bit about The Husband Hour. So The Husband Hour is the story of a uh, young woman in her 20s who loses her high school sweetheart, her husband, uh, in combat in the Middle East. And this was a story I'd been thinking about for a long time. Um, you know, uh, raising my own daughter, who was six months old at the time of 9-11, you know, knowing what military families were going through, um, I was also fascinated by the story of Pat Tillman, mm -hmm. the football player who then enlisted and was killed um, in the line of duty. Uh, I just have been haunted by uh, not only the people who have sacrificed, just like we're seeing people sacrifice today to care for our country, um, the men and women on the front lines, but also the, the families who are waiting for them at home. And as an author who writes about family and um, what it means to be family, I, I, I just couldn't continue writing without addressing this um, situation. And I was in touch with a woman, a military wife named Tanya Bianc, who wrote a nonfiction book called um, Army Wives, which was made into a TV show. But the book, the original book is not like a soapy drama. It's like a very serious look at the emotional uh, lives of these women. So I, I had all this brewing and I wrote The Husband Hour, which I did set at a beach. So it is a beach read and there is some, you know, fun and, and like escapist elements, but at the heart of it is the story of a woman who has to contend with building her life. And um, I set that book at the Jersey Shore, which is the beach town I grew up going to. Um, so I, I, it, the challenge of that book was writing a beach book, giving the reader some escapism while also uh, having a character deal with something, you know, pretty, pretty real. Yeah. And I think, you know, I was talking to uh, Mary Kay Andrews a couple of like last week and she gladly embraces the, the beach read moniker. You know, she's like, it's fine. But it doesn't mean that we check our minds at the gate before we cross onto the sand. Like we can have a beach read that's engrossing and still has sustenance and, and substance and makes us think. I think those are the best kind. 
Thank you. I do. I mean, I, that's how I feel. And I, you know, I love Mary Kay Andrews. I love Ellen Hildebrand and her books have certainly tackled some, you know, serious issues, health issues, loss. And look, I think people do want, read, women readers do want to uh, be engaged and challenge themselves emotionally, intellectually. And if you can do it with a beautiful setting, feel like all the better. Why not? Oh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And I think, you know, sometimes the, the months that y'all are published just happens to lead, you know, you're, you're at the beginning of May. In, in normal times, we would all be spring breaking and getting yes. ready for summer vacations. But, you know, I think almost this year, I, I'm so sorry that so many authors' tours have been canceled or amended. But I think this year, maybe more than ever, when we can't, everyone can't get to the beach, you know, sit in your backyard, pour yourself yes. a grenade and vacation. Yes. Yes. So, you know, I'm hoping uh, everyone can go to their local indie either online or place orders. I know uh, bookstore owners are doing all sorts of like where I'm in my hometown of uh, suburban Philadelphia and the bookstore here, Narberth Bookshop, we can email her the books we want and then she'll deliver them to us. And, um, there's a website, bookshop.org. They are giving um, a percentage of all their proceeds to distribute to independent bookstores throughout the country. Right. Some bookstores, many bookstores are on there with their own little like virtual store. So you can buy from those bookstores directly through bookshop.org. But right. I highly recommend um, readers check this out uh, as a way to get the books you want um, during this time. Right. And, and most of those indies are still doing pre-orders, so you can yes, still pre-order ahead. That's they're, right. They're still taking those. Um, everyone has modified hours and, and things, but I know that they're answering phones when they can, they're answering emails when they can, and it's super important now to continue yeah, support. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just ordered a book from my uh, books called uh, Barry & Co. in Sag Harbor, New York, where my novel from last year, Drawing Home, is set. So I ordered a book through bookshop.org and it was delivered to me here. And so I tested it, it totally works. Super easy, yeah, I have done that too. I just sent one of my nieces, um, she's a senior at UK, at the University of Kentucky, with now her senior year is very different. There's no commencement, there's any, so three, she and two other roommates are trapped in their house. And so I sent the three of them a book from their little local indie and they're actually going to just put it outside on the sidewalk in a brown paper bag with her name on it. And she's going to just pedal over there sometime this afternoon and, and pick up her books. Great. Yeah. yeah. We, have to, we have to be creative. And we have to support the places that we want to be able to reopen their doors when things get back to, quote, normal. So exactly. please, uh, whatever you can. I know it's hard now, but whatever books you can buy, it's so important to, to keep this industry thriving. Yes. And, and, you know, talking about some of our favorite indies, um, some of my friends and I who are, you know, huge book nerds, we make traveling to independent bookstores, like it's a pilgrimage, right? Like we make vacations around what bookstores we can go to. Oh, I love that. Do you, have you done that, like gone to a specific place just to go to a bookstore? Not when you're on tour, but in your personal life? I had, well, because I spend my summers literally traveling to, traveling to bookstores all over, I don't, I, I don't do that in my spare time um, because I can't go to a bookstore and not, not, and be just um, 
a relaxed customer. A like right. it's all mixed into me. Right. I'll tell you one of my craziest, this is my favorite bookstore anecdote. So I brought my daughter, who is a freshman in college, but this was last summer, right before she started college, to um, the little indie in Sag Harbor called Barry & Co. And I write about this bookstore under a different name in the, in the book. So we're browsing the bookshelves, and I look over, and a woman next to me, it's Ann Patchett. Oh my gosh! <laughs> no, and I'm like, is that Ann Patchett? So... Of course, like a crazy person, I have to say hi. So I'm like, Anne. <laughs> She's like, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, oh my God, it's Anne Patchett. And then the bookstore owner was like, oh my God, Anne Patchett's in my bookstore. <laughs> and she could not have been more gracious, more lovely. I bought like every book of hers on the shelf to get them signed. But it was just this wonderful, you never know when you go to a bookstore, an indie bookstore, who you're going to see. Now, Anne Patchett, she doesn't live, she lives in Nashville, Tennessee, Nashville right? So with her own bookstore, um, <laughs> at any rate, so I do, though I don't do bookstore tours, I highly encourage it. Who knows who you're going to see browsing there? Well, there's just all kinds of magic in bookstores, right? That's there's true. There's all kinds of magic. You never know exactly. what's going to happen. <laughs> well, have we talked about The Wedding Sisters? I just want to hit all of your books. The Wedding Sisters was one of my first novels. Uh, the only book I've written so far is set in New York City, my home my beleaguered hometown at the moment. Um, again, a story of, of family, it's, it's multi-generational. It's about a mother and her three daughters and her own mother. The premise of the Wedding Sisters is uh, a couple, just a regular couple, the husband's a teacher, the mother's a freelancer, and all three of their daughters get engaged within months of each other. And- Financial nightmare. <laughs> a financial nightmare, a nightmare in terms of making everyone feel special, logistical, total disaster. At the same time, the husband loses his job, and he, they say to the girls, look, if you all insist on getting married this year, we're doing one wedding, we're doing a triple wedding, and that's just the way it's got to be. And the stress of this, basically, all the, the, the family, all the little petty grievances, the secrets, <laughs> uh, everything comes to the surface and uh, threatens to tear this family apart in the planning of this triple wedding. So that's the Wedding Sisters. Um, and that was, I think the first book I wrote about um, mo real mother-daughter story. And all of my books are mother-daughter stories. Um, and I know this is because I have such a difficult relationship with my own mother. I keep writing over and over like these fantasies of, of, of reconciliation, of, of coming to understanding, or I'm writing characters who are, who are the mother I wish I had. Mm -hmm. So every single one of my stories has a complicated mother-daughter relationship. And they're all in some ways like a fairy tale to me. Because unlike real life, you know, in novels, we can have resolution. Right. And um, not that everyone isn't flawed, but I do like to, spoiler alert, give happy yeah. endings. <laughs> yeah. That's like, you know, I feel like it's the one thing we can do in art that we can't guarantee in life. Sure, sure. You know, I was um, thinking about even with the, the summer longing, I think we're always tempted to say, you know, and I would have said too, I love stories about dysfunctional families. And the more I really think about it, every family is dysfunctional. They're just families, right? Absolutely. We, we all have our levels and, you know, 
I think Pat Conroy used to say, we all have crazy in the South. We just put it out on the front porch for all the world to see, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, we, everyone has stuff that's hard and, and, and I love the strong women throughout all of your novels and, and how they overcome and forgive and, or struggle with forgiveness, but have second chances granted to them. And, and some take better advantage than others. Right. And that's just how we are in life. Yes, absolutely. Well, I strongly encourage people to go to your backlist because those are out now and they will Thanks. love all of your books, but for sure to pre-order Summer Longing, May 5th, we are going to kind of wrap up with some rapid fire questions. If you're game, Jamie, there, there's only five. Okay. <laughs> They're not all right. Okay. Shot. Okay. What is your favorite word? Beautiful. That's a great one right now, right? Who is your favorite fictional hero and heroine? My favorite fictional heroine is um, a character named Bronwyn from uh, Susan Howitch's The Wheel of Fortune. And I named my firstborn Bronwyn after her. My favorite hero, I don't think I had a hero that's male. That's fine. That is I so just did, which is so, so bizarre. It was probably someone in a Nelson DeMille book. Yeah. Though they're like kind of chauvinistic. Like I love the guy in um, like Plum Island. I forget yeah. his name. Oh, I forgot. Um, he's one of these detective characters. He's a total chauvinist, but like a lovable chauvinist. <laughs> so it's probably a Nelson DeMille guy. He's okay. really like Nelson DeMille. I do. Too. <laughs> <laughs> what are you reading now? Oh, I'm reading a biography of Governor Andrew Cuomo. That has hit the shelves like crazy, right, people? It's been out for a little bit, but people are going crazy now reading it's it. An, oh, yeah, it's a it's an older title. It's a few years old, but it's about this political dynasty of, and it's a it really is very much a story of a patriarchal family of. Um, you know, his father was governor and his father before him was an Italian immigrant. And then Andrew Cuomo married into the Kennedy family. So it's just fascinating. And like of this moment for sure. Right. And, and on a fiction level. Oh yeah. No, I was just gonna say, I think we're all searching for um, grace and decisiveness in leadership. And, and he exemplifies that in a way that some others are not. Oh yeah. Absolutely. And just the humanity and just the like acknowledgement of the emotional toll. Um, and, and speaking of like male heroes, like here's someone who's like, I can be strong and lead, but also show like heart and love. But this and is affecting me. Yeah, absolutely. So yes, that's my fictional. I mean, my nonfiction at the moment. And fiction, do you have any fiction going? I'm reading a novel by a woman named Andy Bart called The Herd. And it's a thriller set in this women's club in Manhattan. And I belong to a women's club in Manhattan called The Wing. And I love how she's kind of showing like the toxic side of like <laughs> female girl power, like kind of like the flip side of when that becomes like perverted. So it's, it's, it's very clever and good. Now, is that out now or are you reading in advance? That is, just came out. Oh, okay. And, um, a bunch of us got together who have books coming out between um, April and June and we're sending each other our books and we're like really trying to like help each other because this is such a hard time. So The Herd, new release, um, it's her second novel and it's like a fun thriller. Okay, I'm writing it down. I will be ordering it from, I'll find an indie. And you know, that's another thing. Even if you don't have an indie in your town or area, 
they are all shipping everywhere right now. Absolutely. So just pick one and right. they're, they're shipping. I have been using um, the bookshelf in Thomasville, Georgia, and I know they are answering emails and shipping books all over the country. Yeah, and I'd like to say if you, anyone who likes, um, wants to read Summer Longing, the bookshop in Provincetown called East End Books, run by a wonderful guy named Jeff Peters. Uh, please think about ordering from him. My friends for my birthday got me a gift card for that bookshop. He runs events all year round in Provincetown, and obviously he can't do that right now, but if you're interested in exploring a new indie, I do recommend East End Books in Provincetown. Fabulous, fabulous. Are you a completist or a DNF or when reading? Not when you're doing your writing. So will you finish oh, it DNF. all? Yeah. Have you always been, or is that a new thing? It's a new thing. As I get older, and just time is too valuable. You know, I think that is, there's so many wonderful parts about growing older, and one of them is giving ourselves permission to say, this is not for me right now, yeah. and that's okay, I'm gonna move. And, you know, I was talking to another friend, nine times out of 10, it's me, not the book. Like, these are for lovely sure. books that I put on my shelf, and I will usually circle back to them. Yeah, have you ever gone, have you ever put a book down and then picked it up a year later and you're like, oh, this is actually good? Yes, I actually just had to read, I read a book for a book club um, and I enjoyed it. It was fine, like it was fine, it was well written. And then I read it again in the last six months. I'm like, this is a stellar book, <laughs> like it's phenomenal. And I think I was at a different place in my life when I read it the first time. And I'm a different reader now than I was 10 years ago. And What's the book, can you say, you don't want to say? I will. I will say it was A Gentleman in Moscow. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm going to say it. I couldn't get into that book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to say, I couldn't. I did not at all love it the first time. I don't know. I think I have younger kids. My life was yeah. fast. I couldn't focus. And this time, every word was properly placed. It was lyrical. I, I, when the world calms down, this is probably not the time to delve into something like that, but try it again. Well, I felt like, the, you know, really like something was wrong with me because this is a beloved book. It's a massive book. And I just had a really difficult time. So I am going to give it another go. Um, because I had the same problem with uh, The Goldfinch by Donna Tartt. Right. And then I was like, oh my God. And then I ended up like being obsessed with it. Yes. Yes. Isn't it funny how there's just seasons for everything in our lives and books are no, you know, not exempt from that. And what you said is so true. It's not the book. It's, it's us. It's like what we're bringing to it in that moment. Most of the time. I mean, there are okay. some bad books, let's be honest, but sure. you know. Sure. Yeah. A Gentleman in Moscow is not one of them. It's okay. okay. <laughs> That's going. I still have it. I have it in hardcover. I'm going to go back to it. Go back to it. Okay. This is, this is your final wrap up. Okay. What is the best money you've ever spent as a writer? <laughs> Therapy? <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. I think my, I, so my life before this, I'm actually a therapist. <laughs> I, haven't, oh. I haven't worked, it, it done that work for years, but, um, but I think therapy, money spent on therapy is always a good investment. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jamie, thank you so much for joining us. You are an absolute delight. And I this hope Fun. Some part of your book tour gets to be put back in place. And until then, we will pre-order, read backlist, and look forward to May 5th's release. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, we, we need more people like you. This has been another episode of the Bookish Besties podcast. Bookish Besties is a production of Tidal Wave Books, LLC, 
and is hosted by Diane Barnett and Mary Meist. Produced by Lily Barnett. Find us on Instagram at Bookish Besties Podcast. Thank you for joining us in talking about all things bookish. We will see you next time. Right now. So thank you. And we'll stay in touch. Sounds great. Okay. Thank you, Jane. Bye. Thanks.